Assalamualaikum, selamat pagi, salam sejahtera untuk kita semua. Izinkan saya... Good morning and greetings everybody, allow me to... Acknowledge... Religious greetings, peace be upon us all. Good morning and greetings to all. Allow me to give thanks. I recognize the elders from the Kulin where the Australian Nietzsche Center is in Melbourne. We respect the elders from the past, the present, and in the future. I'm Kevin Evans, the Indonesia Director of the Australian Asia Center. Welcome to this joint webinar to strengthen skills and training for youth in Australia and Asia or South Sulawesi and Australia. Acara ini merupakan bagian dari perayaan jadi this is a commemoration of the 352nd year of South Sulawesi on the 19th of October, as well as a commemoration of the Youth Pledge. Our event will have presentations, keynote speeches, and this panel discussion which you will be able to see on the screen. We have Dr. Eugene Sebastian, Director, Executive Director of Australian Asia Center, Ms. Adedema Bintang, Head of the Regional Development Planning Board from Sustainability, Mr. Ben Chow, Queensland, and Rebecca Hall, Victor, Council from from Catalyst, Ibu Catalyst Science Counselor from the Australian Embassy, and Ibu Helen Brown, Head of Communication and Outreach in the Australian Nation Center, the Interim Governor of South Sulawesi, and the Consul General of in Makassar will be joining us after the, the panel discussion. Let us begin with the opening remarks from Mr. Eugene Sebastian, Director Executive Australia Indonesia Centre, who is joining us from Melbourne, Australia. Eugene, the floor is yours, sir. Thank you, Kevin. Assalamu alaikum, selamat siang, good afternoon to those who join us from, from Australia. Yang saya hormati Bapa Andy Sudirman Sulaiman, pelaksana tugas governor of South Sulawesi government, Brownman, Consul General Makassar, our speakers and distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, allow me to continue in English. Respects to the elders and traditional owners of the land on which our Australian partner universities stand. We are so proud to join the acting governor and the consul general to celebrate South Sulawesi's anniversary and Youth Pledge Day. 
this event reflects the deep partnership between the Australia Indonesia Centre and the provincial government. The event does three things. It firstly draws attention to South Sulawesi. We always as a centre encourage education providers to look beyond Jakarta and to look beyond Java for skills and training opportunities. It also highlights young people. South Sulawesi's young people are incredibly large and diverse. For example, 16 to 30 year olds make up a quarter of the, of a pop, of the population of over 8 million. And finally, our intention is to connect Australian education interests to subnational needs and to connect subnational needs to Australian capability. So over the coming months, the center will explore topics, publish research and share more insights on South Sulawesi. So we encourage you to visit our website, sign up uh, to our weekly media update and follow us on uh, social media. Again, I thank you for joining us and look forward to a great discussion. Stay safe. Baik, uh, terima kasih banyak sekali Pak Eugene. Uh, untuk acara berikut, saya Thank serah... you very much, Eugene. Now I will hand over to Ibu Helen Brown for the panel discussion. Thank you. Hello, selamat pagi dan selamat siang. Nama saya Helen Brown. Thank you. I'm going to confuse the interpreters by speaking a little bit of Bahasa, but it's just so lovely to have this joint webinar between Australia and Indonesia with South Sulawesi to talk about skills and training for young people. And so today, my role is to help us better understand some of the collaborations that already exist and also understand uh, what South Sulawesi is looking at in terms of how does it upskill its young people? What are the aspirations for this province? And what government programs are already in place that we need to be mindful of? I will introduce our panel in just a moment, but I thought it would be handy to give you a little bit of an overview of, about young people in South Sulawesi. And in the chat, I'm actually going to pop um, a link that you can follow. Uh, because it could be of interest. Uh, this was an article written by uh, Ibu Nana, who works with us on young people in South Sulawesi. So I think you'll find that helpful as well. Um, I'll ask our production assistants to make sure that gets out to every one of you. The definition of young people in Indonesia is that they're aged from 16 to 30. And as you heard from Eugene, uh, a quarter of the population is considered young people. There are slightly more females than males. And like many areas around the world, the trend is that they're moving out of urban areas into, sorry, out of rural areas into urban areas. They're going into the cities, basically. One of the most important challenges for education in South Sulawesi is that a significant number of young people uh, are no longer attending school. So they're not finishing their high school learning. And that has to be taken into consideration when we're thinking about what can, what can be provided that helps young people to improve their skill level. 
uh, around 51.5% of youth in South Sulawesi are working. Um, many are working domestically by taking care of their households, that's 18%. And the proportion working is slightly higher in urban areas than in rural. And significantly more young men are working than young women. That's a 65 to 38% ratio. Now they're just some of the statistics, but to really understand more about this demographic, uh, as I said, I'm joined by a fantastic panel today. And you've heard from Pat Kevin, who's introduced them to you. So I won't go through that. Um, I'll ask them to join the room now uh, so that we can have uh, a conversation about this. And it's absolutely wonderful that uh, we are joined by Pa'andi Damawan Bintang, who is the head of Bapalit Bangda, which is a regional development research and development planning agency in South Sulawesi. And Pa'andi also has experience in the manpower ministry. So he very much understands um, demographic data and how that applies to a province. Um, so Pa'andi, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you joining this discussion. You can provide us with a great insight into what's happening with South Sulawesi and young people at the moment. So could you do that? Could you perhaps set the scene for us about your province and young people and what you're seeing? Terima kasih, Pak. Can I start now? Maybe my voice is already clear for you? Very clear. Thank you, Pat. Uh, I'm using uh, uh, Indonesian language, so maybe it's better to understand what I say. Uh, terima kasih, Bu Helen, bahwa Sulawesi uh, Selatan uh, berpenduduk. Terima kasih. Uh, thank you, Bu Helen. As you said, we have around, our population around 9 million, 24 regencies, whereby the proportion of the, the youth, especially those uh, specifically 16 to 30 years old, number about 35.17% around 2 million, whereby the mostly the youths are in the rural area and the proportion of gender tends more towards male than female. The COVID-19 pandemic has had a significant impact on their employment opportunities so around 18 to 20 years old are the age where they are seeking employment because on average the the average age of seeking education is up to the third year of junior high school and uh, 20 year old brothers and sisters uh, university graduates with COVID, they have been they have been impacted by COVID with regards to their employment opportunity. So it is our duty to provide or to endeavor to provide the targets or for the future. From our understanding and what I've we've seen through observation and by discussion with them, they do wish. They, with regard to what they desire, with quote unquote, 
to help their parents. Secondly, they want to be self-sufficient, stand on their own two feet. They wish their families to be more prosperous. I have worked in this sector and the efforts to improving or resolving this impact, especially, is by increasing their knowledge, specifically how to make sure they can um, be involved in business or make their own efforts independently and quickly. They, they're developing the business in their environments. Most of them want training related to how they would be able to take advantage of technology because during COVID, technology plays a key role due to activity restrictions in the public. And secondly, accessibility to information through information technology is quite easily obtained. And thirdly, the reach of technology, especially for the public is quite a feasible option and allows market access. So this is what they want. Data shows that the central government, especially in the last two years, has launched the pre-employment card, which allows our youths specifically to obtain incentives, if I'm not mistaken, in like in Take Victoria, if I'm not mistaken, the central government provides an incentive whereby the youth can select the training that they wish for. The central government has channeled 590 trillion, especially for the people of South Sulawesi, and 69% of the 245,000 of the participants in the pre-opportunity program are youths between 18 to 35 year old. There are five topics that they want training in on how to improve their role, how to improve prosperity through marketing and selling online businesses, the marketing strategy for that. Secondly, they wish to have training on lifestyle. For example, how to make masks, because that is a current need, and um, makeup, because this is part of something that the public likes, because they need to look better, uh, and there are special occasions such as weddings. Thirdly, how they manage their business or business management, that home industry, how to start a business, because on average, they don't know what needs to be done in starting a business. Fourthly, on language and how they can develop products, especially in food and beverages, that can be sold quickly within their surroundings or within their environment. So the government very much supports our endeavors.
I believe he's muted. Oh, there it is. Andy, thank you. You've raised an important point around the, the national government um, program. Excuse me. Oh, thank you. Yeah, sorry, but um, I just wanted to, to jump in because you're talking about Kato Prakajayaba, yeah. which is the national government program, the pre-employment program. And from that, you've found, you've got some interesting information about, as you said, the five things that young people are looking for. You mentioned food and beverages. Um, I, I'm just wondering, can we get an idea of, are these young people interested in just one or two sorts of industries? Or do they aspire to have businesses in a range of industries? What are we seeing in South Sulawesi? Okay. The majority, they want training that can provide immediate income for them. The fact shows, and this is part And there, there is an interesting issue that in the vocational high school, it does show that the majority of, so the graduates of the senior high vocational schools that have technical issues, how to fix air conditioners, how to fix cars, and in the automotive sector, the majority are currently unemployed. So this is a challenge, and this is information for us, especially during the pandemic, that specialization is not a real need. It's about looking at the market and the needs of the market so that the business can develop rapidly. Great. Thank you, Pat. So it's currently looking short-term at some specific skills around earning some income as yes. possible. That makes sense, yes. Look, I, I will come back to that. Um, I think that's really good to have in our heads. I, I'll go to our state representatives, our Australian state representatives, and learn a bit more about some of the programs that are in place. Uh, and then we'll try and tie it in together a bit more. Um, ben Giles, the Commissioner representing the Queensland Government, thank you very much for joining us today. Ben, good morning. Good morning. Uh, there have been some programs set up between Queensland and uh, provincial Indonesia. Could you just explain to us perhaps uh, one or two and, and how they've come into existence? Sure. Um, probably... Probably the, the most successful and the, and the best known one is the uh, the uh, sister state, sister province relationship with Central Java that Queensland have had for since 91. So I, it's the 30th anniversary this year. Um, through there, that there has been some teacher exchanges and also some skills and training, training work. Uh, there's also been... Uh, uh, relationships between the schools as well. Um, by that I mean, um, you know, there's a there's a hope and a plan. I think further down the track that there will be some exchanges with schools as well. Um, that is the government to government side, um, and and probably a fairly successful model. And but out of that has been um, industry as well that has come in, um, and certainly what 
I have found and, 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 and it's probably proven is that when industry or the private sector from Australia and also probably uh, from the Indonesian side as well gets involved, that's where, that's where there's that real success. So we've had TAFE Queensland have, have um, been involved as well in, in training and, and mainly in teacher training and skills uh, around the education side in central Java. And also uh, TAFE Queensland have been involved in skills development uh, with the rail authority, uh, Great Arby Indonesia as well. Um, I think over time there's been about 200 people, 200 executives have been sent to, uh, to, to Queensland for those training programs. Um, I think we'll probably talk about what works and what doesn't work a bit later. Um, so I could, I could talk more about that moving on. Yeah. That's, that's great. Thank you, Ben. Just your thoughts, too, on the Kata Prakerja, the pre-employment training with the aim of trying to generate some income for young people. Um, you're based in Indonesia. What have you seen and, and how can we relate that to the discussion today, and especially after what Pa Andi has told us about? Yeah, I, look, I, I think it's a fantastic initiative and a fantastic program. Um, as I said, it's about being able to get the the, the the private sectors from both sides involved as well. Um, if there's a way that we as Australia can be involved in that, it would be it would be fantastic. Good. Thank you very much. Um, I'd now like to introduce Belinda Arimbo from the Victorian government uh, who, Belinda, thank you. Lovely to have you with us today as well. Um, Ben has outlined some of the initiatives through Queensland. The Victorian government has also been working very strongly in the field of training and skills development in Indonesia. Can you give us an example of something that's being done that you think is a good model for this conversation? So, uh, hi everyone, Thank you for having us for your introduction. So, uh, first of all, I would like to um, send an apology from um, our commissioner, Rebecca Ho, who is supposed to be here today, but unfortunately, she has been double book, so she has a, a, a prior commitment that she cannot escape. So uh, Rebecca has asked me to uh, replace her to speak uh, at this event uh, today. So hopefully I can answer all your questions, but if I can't uh, answer your questions, I promise to uh, get back to you uh, uh, with an answer. So if I can uh, share my slide, uh, I have a couple of slides uh, to help you uh, guide through you, uh, to the case study that I'm going to share today. Let me start to share my screen. Okay, can you see my screen? So, uh, if I can choose one of the most uh, recent um, uh, uh, commercial uh, collaboration uh, between our providers and uh, partner in Indonesia, uh, I would like to uh, share like a collaboration between another colleague uh, and uh, an uh, international hotel management school in Bali. Which this um, started uh, in 2019, uh, it's prior to the COVID-19 pandemic. So, um, so under um, this uh, collaboration, uh, IHNS is offering a six-month uh, certificate uh, in hospitality operations in the Cancer Valley. And upon completion of the um, six-month uh, uh, program and internship, uh, students can actually um, um, go straight to work or they can actually pathway to work for the learning at another police uh, 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 campus in Victoria. Um, 
So why uh, we think uh, these uh, models uh, work is because uh, they are low cost. Uh, they uh, um, the training program can be customized uh, to suit the needs of the local market, and it's a stackable uh, learning pathway. Uh, so it provides more uh, flexibility for the learners and allow um, uh, a pathway to further learning uh, uh, for graduates. Uh, and it also provides like a capacity building uh, for the partners uh, teachers, uh, so they can be uh, equipped with uh, ISP training. So uh, I think this uh, kind of commercial or collaboration uh, we think is really good because it helps to uh, increase uh, employability in, in countries, in this case in Indonesia, uh, as well as uh, it provides industry investment of training. And uh, and in this uh, commercial collaboration, uh, the uh, local partner IHMS uh, has a good understanding of the uh, Victorian feedback uh, capabilities. Uh, the founder of um, IHMS uh, has actually, uh, uh, they also have uh, another uh, business uh, operation, which is that involving in the um, education agency and has been representing another uh, poly uh, in Indonesia for many, many years. So they have a really good understanding of the another uh, polytechnics um, key programs as well as uh, their capabilities. And uh, he happens to be involved in the hospitality and tourism industry itself with uh, seaside estate and sea life and restaurants run in Bali. So he really understands the uh, local market needs. Uh, but I think in summary, I think what makes the, the collaboration work is because there's uh, um, there are good trust and good uh, communication between the two parties resulted from years of um, engagement in other in their, uh, other business. They have good product product that is easy to implement. Uh, the product uh, uh, they, they offer is uh, uh, have, have, have a very good price and they have good commitment from both parties to make the collaboration work. And I think uh, most importantly, uh, also good a very good support from uh, the number from technical team. Hmm. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Bubalinda. That's great. Your level was a little low, so I'll just, um, uh, our technical people behind the scenes are going to just work with you for a minute to see if we can help with that. But th those slides are really interesting. And, you know, what I'm seeing is that there's, there's sort of two areas going on here. We've got the traditional vocational skills, technical skills, learning. Uh, we've also got the immediate need around finding some income for young people, skilling them in, in a way that they feel they can do something in the interim at least, particularly with the impact of um, COVID-19. So a great, a, a great conversation for us to have looking at those two streams. But Andy, I'll come back to you in a minute about where the technical side and the vocational skills fit in. But I'd like to go to Clarice Campbell from Catalyst, who's the lead on skills and training. Now, Catalyst is the hub set up between uh, by Australia to work on the economic agreement between Indonesia and Australia. Um, Clarice, is there, you've lived in Indonesia for a while, you understand the education sector. Is there a way that Australia can also contribute to that need for some, for some short-term, for some quick training to provide some short-term benefits, really? Thanks, Helen. Um, and I'd say the answer is yes. <laughs> we can certainly um, provide some options for quick training uh, in Indonesia. But it's finding the right opportunity, I suppose. Um, so there was a point raised earlier around how can, you know, young Indonesians find quick skills. 
Um, and I think traditionally the kind of education relationship between Australia and Indonesia has often relied on, you know, Indonesian international students travelling to Australia to undertake either vocational courses or higher education courses. But, you know, those sorts of um, pathways, they take a really long time. You know, you're spending several years living in Australia um, and, you know, to get that qualification, you know, it's a big chunk of your sort of young, a young person's life uh, going down that pathway. So really what are the options for Australian education to come to Indonesia? That's kind of what, um, you know, we're actually quite uh, concerned about and, and trying to think of, of ways that we can have this delivery happening in Indonesia rather than relying on international students coming to Australia. Um, and I think that's been really heightened by the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, obviously the international students in Australia are staying in Australia or, or they're studying online, you know, they're just not able to, to travel at all. Um, and so I think an answer to that is that we're seeing quite a lot of businesses turn around and say, well, yeah, we would like our staff uh, to be upskilled, but we're just not willing to have our staff study for, you know, six months, 12 months, three years. You know, are there courses that we can deliver really quickly uh, in Indonesia where we don't have to send them overseas to get these sorts of qualifications? And I think uh, Belinda touched on some really interesting work that's being done by a couple of interesting institutes um, whereby uh, there are de there's development of micro-credentials happening and even uh, to a, how can you take that micro-credential and even make it smaller <laughs> uh, so that you can get really quick skills and you can deliver it in Indonesia online so that, you know, you can say you, that you've studied with an institute in Australia, uh, even if you didn't actually go there, even if you didn't do a really long course, even if it's not a fully... Uh, you know, full Australian qualification, that it's a non-accredited course. These are, I think, uh, the pathways that are becoming increasingly um, sought by young Indonesians because they are cheaper, they're easier to enrol in, they, you complete them faster, and they can be really tailored to what industry is actually asking for because you don't have to, have to, have to deal with um, you know, Australian standards in terms of if you did a, a course on um, becoming an electrician, you know, there are certain standards in Australia which wouldn't necessarily apply to Indonesia. So how can you kind of get bite-sized pieces of that particular course, customise it for Indonesia and deliver it very quickly? Uh, so one way that Catalyst is thinking about this is that we have noticed that various e-commerce platforms are trying to diversify their business services. Uh, they're moving, you know, not necessarily moving away selling, you know, products on their, on their platform, <laughs> but they're thinking about how can they deliver financial services? How can they deliver tourism services and all of that sort of thing? Um, and another one that's come up is education services. So are there ways that you could put you know, courses essentially onto these platforms so that the everyday Indonesian could actually access that. Uh, so that's just one uh, project that we're uh, basically pursuing uh, through the Catalyst program. And I think that could have really meaningful impact because it would mean that somebody who is living in South Sulawesi could open a course on their phone through an app uh, that they would already have downloaded um, because they you know, order all of their uh, food or products uh, through the app, but they could also do this course. Um, and so that could be one way that Indonesia could rapidly upskill, um, but it's about finding the right opportunity. So 
that's just something uh, I suppose in the pipeline for Catalyst that we're looking at. That's that's really interesting. Thanks, um, Clarice. I think that's it. You've raised some interesting points. I was actually fortunate to do an EdTech webinar yesterday and this very thing came up that Indonesian learners are looking for something that they can access easily. It doesn't take too long. It's mm -hmm. not too expensive, but it will just skill them enough to move a little bit further up on, on their level. Um, I'm definitely interested in getting some feedback from Ben Giles and Belinda Rimbo on this. But Pa Andy, what do you what are your thoughts around the, you know the traditional way of developing skills compared to what you're hearing about and what is happening in Indonesia? You know, and it's not it's through the e-commerce apps of providing skills training, but also the fintech apps providing access to funding and training. There's a lot going on. How does that work in your province of South Sulawesi? But are you doing my trick? Yes, <laughs> you're on mute. Whistle. Thank you, Bart. So actually, what was explained is that with the, the pre-employment method, that's what is being done. There's the component for the training, how they can pay to access for that training over the internet and how they evaluate this. And they have the incentive of 1 million rupees. So the, parent, uh, the government is training them and providing subsidy. And so for those, uh, this is for those who are impacted by COVID, they can upskill or they can reskill depending on what they've offered to the government. And this is approved. If the government says, okay, if this is according to the skill that you have or whether you want to upskill or reskill. So what was discussed, it is indeed being done in that way. Uh, people who are impacted, especially the youths, are having their training through the internet. And there is one regency because it's related to how they're thinking and how they're marketing their uh, products. They have mantau ban in pare pare bread they're thinking how to market their product their mindset is their mindset cannot develop further because other people are saying for example in their opinion donuts are round donuts are brown donuts have a hole in the middle as soon as i change the donut and the donut I make on white, they don't, they won't call that a donut anymore. Meanwhile, we need them to be able to think so that what they want to do can be developed and can, they can improve the product physically and its appearance and also the marketing aspect so that people be attracted to purchasing their product. I would say reduce the size and said, well, no, but then 
the public would not see that as a, as a product. And it's what we provide just not limited to the training. And this is um, part of the part of providing that training. Right. So it's those entrepreneurship skills and the mindset is a sort of an, an immediate focus, which is maybe where the micro-credentialing could fit in. Let's stay on, on the idea of something short and available. Um, ben Giles, what are your thoughts around that? Sure. Yeah, look, I, I, I just think it's, it's, it's a fantastic idea and a fantastic initiative. And, yeah, I, I echo Clarice's point um, that any skills training needs to be done here. Um, I think the old model of expecting... Um, Indonesians to go to Australia for that two week, four week, six weeks training is is it's okay, but it doesn't really hit the right the right level. It's normally at that executive level, um, and there's a much larger population to um, to train here. Look, I think it's a fantastic idea. It's just about narrowing down to uh, to to what those needs are, and, and entrepreneurship does sound great. I think from also from our side, from the Australian side, there probably needs to be flexibility as well. Um, often in my experience, um, some institutions um, are willing to discuss, but it often is um, their programs and their way. So I think um, from, from our side, there probably needs to be that flexibility where um, there is more of that discussion. I guess this is a, a, a great start. If I could just mention, um, there's one, probably I've just returned from Balikpapan, and if I could just share a story um, of, of, of young, skilled people coming through work there. Um, TIS, one of the, the world's largest mining contractors, has a, a training centre there. Um, now, this is for an apprenticeship, a four-year apprenticeship. So, yes, it is a lot longer term. Um, it is backed and... Um, uh, by Central Queensland University, so there is that qualification as well. But really, what I'm what I'm getting at here is the the important role of the private sector in in, in being involved in this, and there needs to be uh, a win win for for all levels. Um, so, in the case of of, of TEAS, they've trained over a thousand people, uh, a thousand young uh, young apprentices over over a twenty year period. Uh, this is significant and, and life changing, and many of these people are now executives in the in the in that business. Um, what it does for for a company like Tees is that it brings people in and, and trains and skills them to their needs as well. Um, so I think that is probably a, a great example of um, just training in market and, and and getting the right people and and training. The young people, but, it, but as I said, it needs to be a win-win for all. Hmm. Thanks, Ben. Great to have that um, insight from a large Australian company too on, on the role they're playing. Belinda Rimbo, if I could go to you, uh, as you said, you know, Victoria has been successful in the, the vet space. 
are you are you thinking about micro credentials or or Victorian companies looking at they can provide shorter learning that can be stacked up over time? Yep, uh, I think I agree with uh, what um, Clarice, uh, Ben, and also Bani shared. That I mean, um, the shorter bite-sized uh, micro-credential courses is like a great option, and using IT and technology is the way uh, to go forward. And I think I think uh, uh, young people in Indonesia are very, very resourceful, very creative, and uh, in fact, they are very savvy user of mobile phones and new technologies. So using uh, mobile learning apps, uh, I, I think uh, is a, a very good idea and allowing uh, learners to learn uh, anywhere uh, and anytime. And I think the key now is really uh, to train the, the teachers and the, uh, the trainers how to actually maximize IT and use mobile apps to en enhance learning and also student learning here. Lovely, thanks Belinda. Um, Andy, Others already offering these small short courses. Uh, obviously, there are Indonesian entities that are providing it. But can you give us some examples of of other short courses or micro credentials that are available? Uh, okay. Um, actually, sebenarnya kami sudah melaksanakan. Actually, we have implemented this training, and the maximum would be five days. Uh, the reason we select five days is because mostly they have to leave, quote unquote, their families. Perhaps there's nobody else helping their parents, so they have to go home as soon as they can. They have, there are social issues as well. So we do training for our younger brothers and sisters, 18 to 20 years old, um, maybe five days on makeup, how to improve their products, how to process a particular product with better packaging and management marketing and the impact of information technology on product, marketing product on YouTube. They are also marketing their product on Instagram, on Facebook. And in fact, quite interestingly, because now Instagram and Facebook are marketing their products live. So for example, they talk about the cakes um, and on live, and then they're getting comments and they're able to market directly that way. And in the long term, in addition to what I talked about in the short term. So it is very important. It's about ensuring that COVID will end immediately. And we want to make sure we can overcome the impact so for our younger brothers and sisters in Indonesia, you know, they are responsible for their parents. So perhaps they need to be working on sectors that can provide income for them. Understand. Thank you, Pat. 
the I, ha, I do have a question and I just want to let the person know that we will get to the question which is around Daddy, uh, exchanges. Excuse me. Uh, so we'll, we will get to that. But um, I wanted to make sure we understood, is there still a place for the traditional training, the vocational skills, the technical skills? Uh, is there a role for that the way it has been done or can you see this changing as well? Um, Clarice, I might go to you first um, and just to tell us what you're seeing because you're obviously doing a deep dive into this to work out how it, what, 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 what applies. Uh, and then I'll go to Ben, Belinda, and finally Pa'andi. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, there certainly is a role for traditional vocational education. Um, you know, you can you can still only do so much through online learning. <laughs> you know, if you're if you're training to become a, a healthcare professional, there are certain components of that that you could do. You know, through through listening to uh, lectures and sort of using, um, you know, virtual reality training, you know, putting on goggles and things like that. But at the end of the day, you want to make sure that the healthcare professional knows how to take care of a, a real life human being. Um, so, you know, uh, using that as an example, there's certainly uh, still a need to make sure that, that practical vocational education uh, is still um, available for, for Indonesians who are looking to be upskilled in certain sectors. You can't do absolutely everything online. But I think it's uh, getting to that sweet point of trying to find, you know, what are the blended learning opportunities? How can you facilitate some of it online? How could you do some uh, practical training in a workplace or, you know, with industry? Um, and using that as the way to go forward rather than just do everything absolutely online or do everything where uh, the Indonesian student has to be sent to Australia. Um, you know, we've got to find a different way of working considering the circumstances. Um, so I think particularly at the, and Ben touched on this a little bit, you know, what is the role of the private sector in terms of upskilling and reskilling their staff members? I think that is um, a really huge opportunity in Indonesia we know that across the country, more than about 60% of Indonesians don't even go to SMR or SMCAR. You know, they actually don't complete high school and then they go on to working, you know, in industry. So these are largely underskilled or low-skilled workers that you have in various sectors. And so if they're uh, working in, in particular industries and don't have the opportunity to have some sort of professional development opportunity, they're going to continue to be low-skilled and underskilled and, and delivering services that are not meeting standards and not meeting the expectation of the customer. So how can industry play a part in this? Um, I think it's a huge um, question for Indonesia. You know, uh, there are certain companies, and, and Ben said, you know, uh, who have training centres and they, they already have uh, collaboration with international providers and that's really great, but how can you do that at a, at a larger scale? Um, so I think that should be a consideration for Indonesia moving forward and I'm sure Pat Andy would know, you know, uh, of several large industry sectors or industry players in, in South Sulawesi who would be looking into this as well, you know, how can they actually provide opportunities for their staff to do some sort of upskilling. Um, and I think that's where the focus should be on. Um, there's certainly always going to be scope for polytechnics to partner with vocational institutes or universities uh, in Australia and, you know, kind of facilitate exchanges or do short courses. But actually, if we're really looking at where are the enormous opportunities, 
I think it's actually in the workforce um, because everybody continues to learn for their entire life. You don't finish your degree or your vocational course and go, okay, I'm never doing a course ever again in my life. I know everything that I need to know. You will always need to do some kind of upskilling. Um, and so I think if we tapped into how can the private sector actually assist in, in upskilling their staff members, that um, could just transform Indonesia completely. Um, so I think that's actually where we should be focusing a little bit. Thanks, Clarice. Nice big vision there. And but it's good to lay it out. And, and Ben alluded to it beautifully with his trip to Balikpapan. Um, before I ask Belinda and Ben if, if they think that is possible, because there are all, a whole raft of things behind that, of course, around you know how how an Australian um, provider would adapt to do that. But but Andy, just your thoughts on involving private business more. Uh, in training young Indonesians? Because at the end of the day, it's it, it, it has to have value to both the trainer and the person paying for the training. And the person providing it also has to make sure they're not caught short. Would something like that work? Yes. Um, we have training that involves internship. So this program ensures that the course undertaken to make sure that it suits the workplace, it's uh, five months. For four months, they would be working according to that training. Let's say the training was um, as a hotel staff, they would be trained they would be trained um, with the front desk uh, skills uh, hotel management uh, housekeeping for example after that month they would be placed in a hotel and the results over the past two years shows that they have sent 80 percent of those who have been working or have been in this program have been recruited by the hotel industry. So if we involve the hospitality or the hotel industry, for example, we are also training them on how to place themselves and they're trained according to the specific skills they want and they were accepted immediately where the industry needs um, the human resources support that they're training. So that's if they want to work in the industry sector, there is a balance between those who wish to work for companies and those who want to work independently because the impact of COVID is that, as I said, the companies that accept, there are fewer companies recruiting workers, so they're shifting towards working independently and their involvement will be more functional if they're trained in in their efforts to become more self-sufficient or work in the informal sector. I think that's all, Buhele. Thank you, Pat. That's that's great. Thank you. And you know, again, that the impact of COVID, we have to remember that it doesn't just end when we can all travel. It's going to last for a long time. 
Um, Belinda, could could you just give us your thoughts on the discussion that we've had? Oh, sure. Uh, I think on your questions about learning method, uh, I think um, traditional face-to-face uh, -face learning uh, will uh, will stay for sure. But uh, as the pandemic has uh, forced um, uh, every uh, education and uh, training uh, providers in Indonesia and around the world to go online, uh, I'm sure um, going forward, uh, blended learning will be the preferred options because um, learners and uh, teachers have uh, tasted the benefits of uh, online learning and I'm sure they will continue to use it. And I agree with uh, what uh, Chris um, just shared that um, uh, partnerships and collaboration with uh, industries uh, is crucial uh, because that it it will ensure um, the delivery of um, employment focused uh, courses um, that um, uh, graduates are uh, uh, to make sure that uh, graduates are work ready and equipped with the uh, industrially relevant skills. And I think. Uh, um, a collaboration with uh, industry is also very important uh, to uh, provide customized training solutions uh, uh, according uh, to suit the industry-specific curriculum. And uh, also, I think uh, most importantly is because like, I think uh, industries also have um, uh, relevant uh, machineries that they have invested in like expensive uh, machineries and equipment that um, schools and polytechnics might, might not have. And um, they can uh, provide uh, places, uh, workplace uh, training for um, students. So that's very important to me, for me. Thank you, Belinda. That was great. And Ben? Um, look, I totally agree with Gladys, Belinda and, and Andy on this. Um, I, I think it's a fantastic opportunity to have these short courses. It's, it's just fantastic. But as mentioned before, those the, you know, the traditional will remain, traditional being, you know, whether it's, it is a six-month sort of short course diploma or, or, or the longer sort of apprenticeships. But um, I think still those pieces of paper um, are, are very important. And, and look, if they can come from an Australian institution, it's probably even even better, isn't it? Um, and it is, it is highly regarded. But yeah, look, I, I, I agree with, with all the previous um, speakers um, on, on what they said. I think it's look, just a fantastic opportunity. I should add for, for uh, Sulawesi Salatan, we're working with a, um, a couple of um, training providers that are interested in, in um, entering that part of Indonesia. Um, and there have been talks there in sort of ports and, and sort of marine and logistics in that area as well. So there are mm -hmm. some discussions taking place and also in tourism as well, which and, and hospitality, which um, which Andy um, mentioned as well. But mm -hmm. certainly what he said about that hybrid model, I think certainly the private sector, but Given that situation as well, uh, government needs to needs to play that little role as well. Um, it can't all be just one hundred percent private sector. Um, and so, yeah, I, look, I, I think it's a it's a it's a great solution and a, and a great opportunity. That all all parts need to be working in sync. And uh, yeah, it's mentioned there needs to be flexibility from all sides, in particular, probably the Australian side. Thanks, Ben. But Andy, what do you think? What is the opportunity for foreign training providers to work with the government in South Sulawesi? Um, yeah, okay. Pengetahuan, uh, pengetahuan, terutama yang berkait knowledge, especially regarding how to improve products, marketing, and specializations in the sense of how they are able to fully employ 
information technology for the needs of, for the purpose of marketing their products. Secondly, it is crucial to, you know, this is a psychological uh, aspect, how to change their mindsets, especially our younger brothers and sisters on how to do business will be more impactful rather than working somewhere else or for somebody else. So this is related to how to encourage their faith that they can obtain more by going to business for themselves. I believe that the, the ability of our friends in Australia, especially in in management with regards to small enterprise uh, can be shared with us, although there would need to be adjustments with regards to the cultural context and the context of South Sulawesi. Okay, so there, there is a role perhaps that an outside an outside thinking could bring around aspiration, what can you achieve, what you can aim for, and to, to help people have higher horizons. Is that correct, Yafa? Have I yes. understood that? Yeah. Mm. That's good to know. Thank you very much for those responses. Um, we do have time for a question, so I think I will go to it. It's from a young woman. I'm just finding it. Wayodu Surya Dama from South Sulawesi, a lecturer in in Makassar, and also co-founder of the Ruang Kalabarasi Parempuang. She's an alumni of the Australia-Indonesian Muslim Exchange Program. So wonderful to have a question from this person in the room. She's curious to know, is there any program exchange, especially amongst young female students at university level between the two countries in entrepreneurship skills? So this touches on what Pa'andi was saying about this, this real desire to learn how to be a better entrepreneur, how to be a business person. Um, my understanding is it's very significant for young people to have the experience, knowledge, people to people connection. Thank you. That does tie in a little bit to uh, a few things that we've discussed. Um, Clarice, I'm going to go to you first and then Ben and then Belinda and then finally to um, Pa'andi in case he knows about something that we're not aware of. Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think um, there are a number of government uh, bodies and private institutions and uh, industry players who are always asking, you know, is there an opportunity for us to send people to Australia? to undertake some sort of internship or sort of exchange uh, opportunity. Um, and it's great to see that the, the, the speaker is, um, uh, has done IAMP, um, which is, you know, the Australian Indonesian Muslim Exchange Program. And that's a really good opportunity for people to come to Australia and undertake a really life-changing experience. But of course, that those kinds of programs are only for a very select number of people. So how can we sort of achieve scale with this sort of thing? Um, I mean, at the moment, obviously, the elephant in the room is that, you know, no one can go to Australia right now, <laughs> uh, myself included. I think Ben's probably in the same boat. 
Um, so I think that's the first hurdle to get past in being able to actually go, okay, well, if you do want to have, you know, Indonesian professionals or students be able to undertake these sorts of programs, you know, uh, there has to be able to be opportunities for them to actually get into Australia and then come back to Indonesia. I can't think of an actual uh, program that's running at the moment where there are Indonesians traveling to Australia to undertake entrepreneurship internships. Um, but it's certainly something that um, could be looked into. And so, for example, underneath the Indonesia-Australia Comprehensive Economic Partnership Agreement, um, when travel is able to resume, um, you know, there will be things like the Reciprocal Skills Exchange Program. Uh, there will be greater numbers of the work and holiday visa arrangement. And there will be a workplace skills training program. So those are some examples of... Um, of opportunities whereby Indonesians will be able to travel to Australia and undertake specific programs where they can seek uh, internships or workplace experience. Uh, in the initial phases, it will only be a couple of hundred um, Indonesians who can undertake that, but over the years that will scale. Um, and so I think those could be really good ways for, um, you know, these groups to kind of look at upscaling. But there's always opportunities whereby if a government department or an industry player would like to you know, send their professionals or students to, to travel and do some sort of uh, placement in Australia, strike up a conversation with a, an Australian provider or an Australian industry partner or an Australian industry association and find a way to, to get um, a program like that up and running. And, you know, if you're unsure where to start, you can always contact Cadillus. Thanks, Clarice. Yeah, some good points around, especially that um, that visa program between Australia and Indonesia, which will allow more young Indonesians to come to Australia to look and learn, really, a, a great form of work experience. Uh, ben and Belinda, to you, you know, this we know young Indonesians want to be entrepreneurs. You know, it's it's a cool thing to be. It's it's a, something they can do in their own space. They maybe become, you know, the leader of a unicorn. You never know. But how does that fit in with the what the states can offer, what the states are looking to do in terms of working with, say, a provincial government? And, and that student exchange question as well, of course. Um, ben, I'll start with you. Thanks. Sure. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. And, and I think if, if, if we could and, um, yeah, look, hypothetically, Speaking, of course, those exchanges would be would be would be happening all the time. Um, I think yes, it's very important to get Indonesians uh, to Australia for those short courses and, and, and a bit of training. But uh, I think the new Colombo plan as well. I should throw that one in. I think it's one of the one of the great foreign policy uh, moves in the last twenty years that it's it's introducing young Australians to to um, to Asia as well, and that's just been. Uh, life-changing for some of these kids coming up here. Um, Queensland's uh, experience, it's probably been more through uh, the, the department, through that sister province relationship with, with Central Java, uh, through the education departments. There has been teacher exchanges. Um, they've been talking about student exchanges. Uh, uh, normally, it would have been high school age. Uh, they'd be going down for probably three to four weeks and be doing a bit of training, but just a bit of uh, culturalization or, or just um, embedding themselves into an Australian culture, but also the Australian students coming over as well to do it. Um, I think it's a fantastic idea, but 
the elephant in the room, apart from COVID and visas, is probably money as well, and, and someone has to pay for it. Um, and, and that's unfortunately is the key. We'd love to get we'd love to get thousands and thousands of, of young Indonesians down to Australia to to do that, um, committing that, that ultimately someone will need to pay. But as Clarence mentioned, I think it's um, for, for individuals to to go down uh, to Australia and and pursue that. There is that, of course, there is that opportunity, and and I think some of the state bodies there are enough um, uh, parties here that, that could sort of assist to make that happen. Um, but again, on the on the national side, I probably need to defer that one to uh, to Liz as well. I think it's on the call. Um, as well, but yeah, look, I I, I think it's uh, these are life changing moments and experiences, but yeah, it's it's about getting those numbers and 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 the fee and the cost. Yeah, I think that's a very good point, Ben. Those student exchanges are are amazing and wonderful, and and those work experience opportunities. But if we're talking about trying to help a large group of young people, uh, a different model perhaps would work better. Obviously, Belinda, your thoughts on that? Yeah, thank you. Uh, to answer the question as well as linking it uh, to what uh, Pandi just shared, uh, I think it's important uh, for government and business sectors um, to promote and set up uh, more uh, business incubators um, to encourage young people uh, with business ideas to venture out and also learn how to actually make their business ideas come true. I know um, some of um, um, university, uh, some university in Australia, they have incubator programs, and some of uh, some of them are even offering exchange program and also business uh, mentoring programs to young people from um, outside of Australia as well. So I know, uh, I think the Trop University has a global market uh, accelerator program, uh, and the program is offered uh, not only to um, the Trop student, but it's op open for students from around the world as well, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So I think uh, perhaps. Um, um, uh, you can actually, uh, for, for um, the person who's asking the question, they can also uh, try to contact some of our university to check out uh, on their um, accelerator program, also uh, their business incubator pro programs. That's great. Thanks, Belinda, the accelerator programs. I wasn't aware that they were reaching out to other countries. That's definitely something worth looking at. Thank you. Um, but Andy, I'm going to leave the final word to you. We, we do have to wrap up this conversation. Uh, what next do you think? What will happen with uh, young people in South Sulawesi for the next, say, six months? We've got the, the pre-employment program rolling out again. The president's committed some more funding to it. So what do you think will happen in the next six months? Will young people still be looking for those same skills or will they have developed these skills and be looking to take them further? Yeah. Um Adik kita ini uh, mempunyai uh, niat dan saya percaya. Uh, so they do have a good will. That the intent, I think, they will keep working on improving their abilities, especially in uh, providing a livelihood for themselves and for their family. With regards to the cooperation and how it can be done, I think that is our job to talk about it in more detail on how to resolve or to connect the needs of our people specifically, not just through this webinar. This is just a path towards uh, a more detailed discussion. And my hope, especially with regards to the student exchange, I I would rather prioritize that 
our younger brothers and sisters. So not students, but those who are willing to start their business because students, they go back to learning. They don't apply or disseminate their knowledge. So we want business practitioners who are young so they can see clearly what Australia has to offer. And finally, and before I close, that the people of South Sulawesi always have, uh, we have a strong will on how to pursue our knowledge. And I believe our younger brothers and sisters, God willing, inshallah, in the future, will do better despite being in a pandemic situation. And of course, the Indonesian government and the government of Australia needs to cooperate to achieve what our younger brothers and sisters wish to have, especially specifically the 18 to 30 years old. That's all for me. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. That's a great way to end this conversation. Thank you very much for the contributions from all the panelists. Really appreciate your time and the thought that you've put into your answers uh, and to be willing to discuss different things that have come up. Um, I think that's been very, very useful and we'll certainly get um, some thinking going in some different areas around how Australia uh, and Indonesia and particularly South Sulawesi can work together. I'd like to thank Pa'andi Damoan Bintang, the head of Bapaldeti Bangda, the Regional Development Research and Development Planning Agency in South Sulawesi. Thank you very much, Pa'andi uh, ben Giles, the Queensland Trade and Investment Commissioner based in Jakarta, Indonesia. Ben, thank you for your time. Much appreciated. Belinda Rimbo, Education Services Director for Indonesia, uh, who came in at the last minute and uh, has given us so much insight. Thank you so much, Ibu Belinda. Thank you. And Clarice Campbell, Lead Advisor for Skills at IACEPA Catalyst who gave us some idea of how Catalyst is thinking about how industry can work with what's happening in Indonesia. Um, Clarice, thank you for being willing to talk about that so candidly, much appreciated. Thanks, Alan. Thank you. And now that the panel has finished, I would like to introduce our discussant to summarize the points that have been raised and also provide some Australian government perspective on what might happen next and where there is already strong collaboration and relationship building. Could you please welcome Elizabeth Campbell Dorning, who's the Councillor for Education and Science from the Australian Embassy in Jakarta. Thanks, Helen, and uh, thank you uh, to the organisers today for the opportunity to uh, join you all. Um, it's really great to hear uh, the, the viewpoints from, from all of the panellists, and I certainly have some reflections on that, but also from my uh, four years in this job. This is actually my last uh, official event, so I've got a lot of... Uh, of um, sort of uh, reflections, uh, not just with this event, but uh, my past four years uh, here in Indonesia working uh, with not just the Indonesian government, but with Australia's uh, education sector to try to achieve the kind of cooperation and partnerships that we um, are talking about today. 
Um, and it's part of the role of the Australian government and also the government of Indonesia, of course, to try to facilitate this environment where cooperation and partnerships of this type are, are feasible. And sort of with that in mind, I thought uh, I have some reflections on, on sort of the connections we're talking about between supply and demand that I think I will just unpack uh, a, a little a little further from the Australian government's perspective, because I think there are some factors for both the Australian and Indonesian sides to consider that will help us find a way or more accurately a number of ways forward on this partnership in helping Indonesia develop its human capital um, and to create lasting uh, relationships and partnerships um, with Australian uh, vocational and skills uh, providers. And I think one of the points that I, I reflect on, on on the panel's discussion is around really um, who is the target? Who are we focusing on delivering skills to? Is it those young Indonesians that are looking to self-employ? Is it Indonesian businesses of, of any scale that are looking to their human resource needs um, to develop their, their business? Or is it the broader economy's needs, whether that's South Sulawesi or Indonesia um, as a whole? And I think in reality, it's obviously going to be a combination of uh, those uh, targets. But that very um, much would uh, define what it is that Australia can offer. And so I'm really keen for there to be more conversations um, around these kind of specificities that will help have more uh, practical conversations between our skills providers and partners in Indonesia around what a viable partnership looks like. Because as um, Pak Ben raised, really the unspoken thing is around uh, the cost of um, Australian skills training and uh, it's not an insignificant amount and I think that that is always going to be a very uh, fundamental factor in designing cooperation in facilitating partnerships that will train Indonesians and what is it that um, that is the the goal in those partnerships and it will be different between different partners but I think having that vision of what it is that um, we're trying to achieve, whether it is economic growth, whether it is supporting businesses to grow, or whether it is uh, fostering self-employment uh, amongst young Indonesians. Those are really critical factors uh, to bed down before there are conversations around um, individual partnerships. And, um, you know, I think that this factors into demand uh, as well, which is something we, we didn't touch on, but is something uh, that I think has come through uh, my time in Indonesia anyway, around um, the impact of perceptions of vocational education and skills development on, on demand. Um, 
and about educating students what VET can be. I think there's an assumption that vocational education means the same thing in every country around the world. But really, Australia's VET system and Indonesia's vocational system, there's a lot of differences um, in our in our systems. Um, and what an Australian vocational provider can offer to Indonesia, whether that's, you know, young entrepreneurs or whether it is Indonesian businesses or whether it is Indonesian governments, um, that can be quite different to what an Indonesian vocational provider can, can offer. So there is um, a need to address this perception uh, of what vocational education is, what skills development means. And I think clearer information around job roles, uh, career progression, but also addressing traditional views of what vocational education um, is. You know, in the Australian system, um, people who uh, are event coordinators or music producers, um, the people who design uh, games animation, that's all from our vocational education and training system. But those aren't job roles that I suspect jump to mind when people, especially young students, are identifying um, study pathways and uh, career, uh, you know, aspirational uh, careers. Um, so in sort of addressing these perceptions of that where it's seen as a, a lesser choice to higher education, perhaps, I think um, we've heard from the panellists that industry is absolutely key to that. And I, I can't overemphasize enough how important it is. Um, the work that Clarice and her team are doing through Catalyst um, with the endorsement of both the government of Australia and government of Indonesia is going to be really critical uh, to this, of engaging uh, private sector in training, in developing human resources, um, it is very much um, the way the way forward. Not the only way forward, but certainly a big part of the way forward of how we can develop a model uh, that uh, addresses the scale of Indonesia's uh, human. Uh, capital needs across a range of priority sectors in a way that is sustainable. And um, I think that's really one of the key points I want to, to leave you on, that we've heard from um, our state government colleagues around examples of cooperation in, in vocational um, partnerships. And those are fantastic, fantastic initiatives. And, you know, great to uh, hear that as Australian providers and the state governments are pursuing opportunities like this and supporting Indonesian um, partners. But I think we need to so build on that work, which I suspect no one will disagree uh, with me on, but in a model that is going to be sustainable. And by that, I mean commercially sustainable uh, as well. And to have a sophisticated, comprehensive partnership between Australia and Indonesia facilitated by the um, decisions, the partnerships that are being pursued by Australian training providers and Indonesian uh, stakeholders that are in need of, of human capital um, development. Um, and I think that that is really 
where we will see the transformational potential of this skills um, partnership. So uh, I hope that somewhat addresses uh, what you would like to hear from me, Helen. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, that's been a great wrap up and some, some good thoughts coming out as well, especially based on your four years of experience. Liz, congratulations on that role. And uh, of course, we hope you'll stay in touch with the Australia Indonesia Centre. You've been a good friend. So thank you for for your time uh, today. Much appreciated. And that, of course, is Elizabeth Campbell joining the Councillor for Education and Science based at the Australian Embassy in Jakarta. And that's my role for today. I'm now going to hand you back to our Indonesia Director, Park Kevin Evans. Thank you very much, Helen. And could I just uh, underscore and express to Liz Campbell Dorning a very special thank you for your superb friendship and partnership uh, with the AIC over these over these past four years. It, it's uh, uh, it, it's a true credit. We're really grateful, and uh, we wish you very well with your uh, with your next steps forward in your career. Um, Untuk tahap berikut, sekarang kita masuk tahap untuk... For the next stage, we are now have the keynote speech. So first of all, we will see a keynote speech from Mr. Andy Sudinman Suleiman, interim governor of South Sulawesi, through a recorded video. At the moment, he is represented by the education sector uh, in interim head, Mr. Imran Jauzi. Welcome by Imran. And now we will see the keynote speech from Andy Sudirman Sulaiman. Peace be upon you and greetings. I would like to greet the Consul General Mrs. Brown of Australia, Mrs. Brown of Robinson, her staff, the director of Australia Nisha Centre, Mr. Kevin Evans, and also the executive director of the Australia Indonesia Centre, as well as the director of the Partnership for Australia Nisha Research Pair, Mr. Dr. Eugene Sebastian, along with his staff, to all our speakers and webinar participants, of whom I am proud and the core pair researchers, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen. First of all, of course, thanks to God Almighty for blessing us with our health and allowing us the opportunity to gather for this webinar, the Australia Indonesia Center AIC Partnership for Australia Indonesia Research Pair, together with the South Sulawesi Provincial Government on the theme of skills and training for youth in South Sulawesi. On behalf of the government, I express my highest gratitude and appreciation for convening this webinar. I hope this webinar will contribute a solution for reviving the skills and training for our youth as part of human resource development efforts in South Sulawesi. Distinguished guests, we realize that the focus of the world of education today is to provide reinforcement of vocational education training in line with the shift of our development strategy from physical infrastructure development to human development by training 
uh, children to be ready to be accepted in the world workforce. Therefore, one of the priorities of Sasolawasi's people development as directed through vocational education quality improvement programs. I sincerely that in today's webinar, the today's Sasolawasi youth will have a better chance to compete and meet the needs of the industry. One of the strengths of the economy lies in the industry business and small, medium-sized enterprises supported by the availability of skilled workforce, insufficient quantity and quality, and, um, and standardized. Our involvement in vocational training activities is an investment so that our next generation will have the competence to be ready to work. Distinguished guests, South Sulawesi has just commemorated its 352nd anniversary. There are so many challenges accompanied by achievements which have been realized thanks to the commitment and cooperation of all parties. The two years of uh, COVID-19 is slowly being overcome together, although we are still facing the pandemic in the last remaining time. At least we are able to survive and then able to massively control the spread of uh, COVID-19 in Asia and our beloved South Sulawesi. Based on the ministry, uh, Minister of Home Affairs, Regulation number 50, we are no longer under level four PPK restrictions. There are some in level two and some on level three with regards, and this is related to the achievement of vaccination and percentage of achievements at the district and city levels. We encourage this achievement to, and we continue the acceleration of vaccinations and to continue limited in-person uh, education implemented under strict health protocols. And moreover, our children must be able to go back to school and we can provide more opportunities for our children to take part in education and training. Of course, by carrying out limited face-to-face -face learning, we hope our children can go back to learn at their schools and more opportunities for our children to take part in education and training as um, asset for their future. Distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, with regards to vocational education, we is done with the context of local development. We are hoping that this can be done to improve vocational educations in our vocational schools. And of course, we are ready to collaborate in its development, especially in the development of activities, which is focused, of course, on specific activities such as for tourism, agriculture, livestock, and others. The South Sulawesi Provincial Government, together with the Ministry of Manpower, has conducted various vocational training programs developed in community skills training centers. But we, it will never be enough until we can act as a whole and synergize, including Australia, in groups that can work together to improve the existing South Sulawesi vocational education system. We've taken five themes that we will collaborate on. And of course, with these five themes, we hope for proper steps proper direction from both sides, Indonesia and Australia, and of course, South Sulawesi, so we can have other, we have kind of guidelines for the proper support and measurable improvements. We hope that the webinar between the provincial government and AIC pair can find interdisciplinary solutions in answering various problems in an integrated collaborative manner in carrying out training and education for the young generation, so they will open up our people's understanding that skills and training will make it easier for to uh, obtain a better future. That's all from me. I apologize for any shortcomings. We are always ready to wait for this collaboration and cooperation and to improve this in a more substantive manner and to deepen this cooperation and 
in a more tangible way in the field so that our people, our young people, will have been more skilled in their education activities. That is all from me. I apologize for any shortcomings. Religious greetings. Peace be upon us all. Thank you very much to Andy Suleiman, Andy Sudirman, for his uh, remarks, which was brief and very concise. And I think there's a lot that we can take away me uh, key messages from his speech to help to broaden our um, understanding. And now I would like to invite the con the Consul General Ibu Bronwyn Robbins, the Australian Consul General Makassar, to give her keynote speech on behalf of the government of Australia. Thank you, Ibu Bronwyn. Thank you, Kevin. Religious greetings. I would like to greet Suleiman or his representative, officials of the South Sulawesi Provincial Government city and regional leaders in South Sulawesi, South Sulawesi Acceleration of Development Team, Teke Upepe, principals of vocational schools and directors of polytechnics and job training centres in South Sulawesi, executive director of the Australia-Indonesia Centre, Dr Eugene Sebastian and AIC staff, panellists from Australia and South Sulawesi. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been invited today to provide remarks on behalf of the Australian government and to reflect on how Australia and Indonesia can work together to help deliver on South Sulawesi's priority of human capital development. Australia and Indonesia share a close and important bilateral relationship. We have strong economic, commercial and trade ties made even stronger by the opportunities afforded through the Australia-Indonesia-Australia Comprehensive Economic Partnership Agreement, IPACEPA. This agreement links Australian business to Indonesia's economic priorities. And education, skills and training is one such priority in which Australia has world-class capabilities and comparative advantage which align very closely with Indonesia's, and particularly South Sulawesi's, priorities, needs and emerging issues. The Australian vocational education and training sector has a number of stakeholders at both state and federal level, including regulators and providers from industry, the private sector and the public sector. And our partnership with Indonesia in vocational education and training is deep in its long standing. Indeed, there are an increasing number of Indonesians choosing vocational study in Australia. Just to give you an idea, before the pandemic, there were around 7,000 a year, and that's compared with 8,000 a year in the higher education sector. Today, you've heard from two state commissioners, both of whom have a strong track record of partnerships in vocational education in Indonesia. And as I'm sure everyone in this virtual room knows, vocational education and training, or VET, really are key to unlocking a country's full potential. Moving beyond commodity production towards higher value and knowledge intensive 
service-based economies. Young people are a major demographic dividend in Indonesia today. 40% of Indonesia's population is under 25, and as such, human capital development is a top priority for Indonesia as it seeks to add around 57 million skilled workers to the country's economy by 2030. And as we've heard during today's presentations, the inclusive and competitive development of the workforce is also a key priority of the South Sulawesi Provincial Government. And that's understandable with youth making up a quarter of South Sulawesi's population of almost 9 million. Indeed, across Indonesia, there's increasing demand for vocational education and training services. And the vet sector is not only important for training youth, but also for upskilling and retraining learners across multiple economic sectors. Engagement and collaboration between vet bodies in Australia and South Sulawesi can contribute to improving SourceL's vocational systems and to build highly skilled and industry-ready workforces, to lift productivity, support economic growth, and improve social well-being. Unlocking South Sulawesi's human development potential will require new, creative, and comprehensive forms of international education partnerships. Partnerships that can help deliver high-quality skills, education, and training, but also to collaborate with the provincial government in a coordinated way. This will help build consistent and quality education and training services, which are sensitive to the unique needs of the provincial population. Engaging with South Sulawesi represents an opportunity to work together to understand both individual and cross-sectoral VET needs. And the Australia Indonesia Centre understands these needs well. Under its flagship PEAR program, funded by the Australian Government Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, the centre has led a consortia of Australian and Indonesian universities to conduct interdisciplinary research on the topic of soul cells young people, their wellbeing and education, their skills and their training, and how these issues interlink with the province's significant potential in commodities such as seaweed production and in manufacturing. I mention this today because the initial findings of this work illustrates how social, economic and environmental change is reshaping the province and with it the expectations and the aspirations of young people according to their socioeconomic, geographic and gender differences. And the PEAR project also highlights the importance of gender equality and social inclusion as a critical element of engagement. Australia's VET standards can, can assist with ensuring high quality standards, including around social inclusion. I've already mentioned that there's growing awareness in Indonesia of the value of Australian skill training with increasing numbers of students studying in Australia in this sector. But this only supports a small number of students in the context of Indonesia's vast skill needs. Now, the Indonesia-Australia Comprehensive Economic Partner Partnership Agreement, EICEPA, makes vocational education and training a priority in the partnership 
And importantly, it facilitates delivery to Indonesians in Indonesia as a way forward, which has the benefits of scalability, affordability and industry relevance. The agreement allows majority Australian ownership anywhere in Indonesia. And the Indonesian government has also committed that any further relaxation of investment restrictions would automatically include Australian providers. Complementing E.R. Chepper, Australia's Trade, Tourism and Investment Minister, the Honourable Dan Tim, launched the blueprint for trade and investment during his official visit to Indonesia in September. And I want to mention that DFAT had the pleasure of partnering with the AEC on the education, skills and training chapter of this blueprint. The blueprint is designed to support Australian businesses and service providers by providing practical and strategic guidance for those considering Indonesian opportunities for the first time. And it explains that new opportunities exist for Indonesia and Australia to do business together as a result of the rapidly changing profile of the Indonesian economy. But finding future success here in Indonesia and in specific markets such as that in South Sulawesi requires a shift from selling products and services to finding shared value. And the blueprint is designed to support this. It draws on contributions from Australia's deep and diverse knowledge and expertise on Indonesia, but most importantly, it notes the need to understand Indonesia's priorities to help identify the right partners. The blueprint also highlights different options for, for providers looking to establish themselves in Indonesia, such as strategic partnerships, joint ventures or consortia. All three approaches have merit, but consortium models in particular offer great promise through enabling locally customised solutions, lower risk and consolidated financial and resource sharing. The impact of COVID-19 on both our economies means that Australia and Indonesia have an opportunity to look for new and smart sources of growth together to support our near-term economic recovery and our long-term economic security. Earlier, you heard from Clarice Campbell about how the recently launched economic cooperation program, Catalyst, includes a skills for recovery element. We believe that Catalyst will play an important role in facilitating partnerships for training and skills exchange between Indonesia's businesses in key sectors and vocational providers in Australia. In conclusion, I'd like to thank the Acting Governor of South Sulawesi, Papa Andi Sudiraman Sulaiman, and his representatives, the Australia Indonesia Centre, and all of the panellists here today. And I'd like to highlight that we now have elements in place to help develop the VET sector in South Sulawesi together. I look forward to deepening our collaboration with South Sulawesi to support its human capital development. Vocation and, vocational education and training partnerships between Australia and South Sulawesi offer tremendous mutual benefits for both sides to help us achieve a brighter future together. Terima kasih. Baik, terima kasih banyak sekali. Thank you very much, Ibu Bronwyn.
that was very detailed and it provided us with so much enlightenment. At this moment, ladies and gentlemen, we are coming towards the end of our event today. But before we come to the end, I would very much like to invite my friend and partner, Dr. Nana Saleh, the research coordinator in the AIC pair in Makassar to summarize and to give a final words for to close our event today. Bunana, the floor is yours. Thank you very much, Kevin. Religious greetings, peace be upon us all. Good afternoon and greetings. Distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, we have finally come to the end of this event. Two hours has gone by so fast. Um, with all the interesting discussion, I would like to emphasize some points from our joint webinar today. First of all, the development of human capital is the main priority of the government at this moment. This is crucial and we need to prepare this well because Indonesia is predicted to have a demographic dividend or geographic a demographic bonus and the peak will be in 2025 to 2045. This is bonus is for those in productive age, 15 to 64 years old um, number. There's more uh, productive population rather than the non-productive. This is a window of opportunity for the advancement of Indonesia. And therefore, in order to optimize this abundance of human resources, they must be competitive and skilled, quality education and training of as conducted by the various institutions in Australia at an international standard, including the various states, is something that we can learn and we can apply so that our workforce, especially the youth, can be more competitive in the in an open um, work market or employment market with regards to quality education. It should meet the needs of the industry and the market. And this is a main asset for upward mobility, especially for those marginalized, especially prior to the pandemic and made worse during the pandemic. Leave no one behind is the mandate of the sustainable development goals for the policymakers and for all of us to provide better opportunities for them. And to that end, the state must invest they must cooperate between with the industry and the private sector. The second point is the opportunity for closer opportunities for cooperation in the BET sector with Australia. And this has been emphasized in the blueprint from the blueprint of for investments that emphasize the need for Australian education provided to consider cooperation with the local government at the provincial level and not just focusing on Jakarta and Java. This is an initial step to begin that conversation for cooperation in VET for the youth in South Sulawesi. Of course, the further we need more intensive meetings and more coordination for further steps. I hope this is 
an auspicious start for all of us all to deepen the cooperation between Australia and South Sulawesi, especially in VET, especially Australia and specifically South Sulawesi Makassar has such a long and strong history from centuries ago. So that's the conclusions I can draw from today. I would like to express my highest gratitude to the interim governor of South Sulawesi and his, the staff, um, all the representatives from uh, South Sulawesi. We have Mr. Imran from the head of education and Mr. Andy Alfatunani, and also for being here, we express our greatest gratitude from Ibu Brown Robbins, the Consul General of Australia Makassar, who continues to be our partner in South Sulawesi from the very start. And to our panelists today, uh, Adi Darmawan, Pak Ben, Ibu Belinda, Ibu Clarice, Ibu Liz, thank you so very much for your time and for this very enlightening discussion. Thank you to all our guests and participants from the various institutions in South Sulawesi, and also at the national level, I see some here. And to all the participants, we thank you for being here with us in this webinar. Last but not least, to my colleagues working behind the scenes, I would like to thank Ibu Dilatria and Steve, Luke from, uh, from the Governor's Office, Ibu Emma Roberts, Ibu Lulu, from the Consul General's Office in Makassar, Panasara from Bapalit Bangda, Ibu Yuniv from TPPU, uh, Language Service, Linda and team, and to everyone who supported this event and who I cannot mention by name, and we apologize for any shortcomings in the convening of this event. Before I end, allow me to provide some information. This video will be available in the Australia uh, uh, website and uh, available in our YouTube channel in two languages. And respectfully, would like to invite you to attend our annual event, the Pair Summit, which will begin on the 30th November to the 7th of December. And that information can be seen on the website Pair, which will be posted by Budila in the chat room. We thank you. Stay safe, stay well. Religious greetings, peace be upon us all. And and that and with that, we've come to the end of our webinar.